I feel like we need to get rid of the greeting, hi, how are you doing? Because I, I have a new greeting that I think is just as universal, especially in our culture today. We don't need to say, hi, how are you doing anymore? I think we could actually say, hi, what TV show are you binging on lately? <laughs> because virtually everybody that we talk to, eventually conversation turns into, oh, but here's the TV show that I'm massively obsessed with this month and that I've been staying up till three in the morning to watch. Right now, Grace is obsessed with the show Suits. And I, I've never seen it, but I'm not lying. Multiple times this week, I woke up at 3 in the morning because the light from her iPad screen was in my face because she was still watching the show. And, and it's not like I'm any different. I'll be up super late watching TV shows too. And the show that I've been binging on lately is a Showtime series called Billions. And Billions is the kind of show that you start watching. You like it? Good. Well, we, we shouldn't really admit that, though, should we? It's, it's one of those shows where you start watching it, and the more you watch it, you realize every single character in this show is a terrible person. There's, there's not a good guy. There's not a bad guy. There's just guys. It's, it's, just, one of those, it's just one of those shows. Uh, go to the next slide. We've got a picture of Billions up there. So Billions start, has two main characters. And the first guy, Paul Giamatti, who is on the left, he plays U.S. District Attorney Chuck Rhodes. And as we learned very early on in the show, U.S. District Attorney in New York City is really a stepping stone for becoming mayor of New York City. So this is an important guy. He's a powerful lawyer who leads an entire office of powerful lawyers. He was raised to be a very successful person. He went to all the right schools. His dad is a politician. And, and he's the lawyer who goes after the worst kind of criminals, the criminals who think they got away with it. And the best part, he's never lost a case. On the other side is Damian Lewis, and he's the bad guy of the story. And he plays hedge fund manager or stockbroker Bobby Axelrod. And what Bobby Axelrod does is he fills the role that we're supposed to root against. But in typical premium cable fashion, you just got to root for this guy because he was raised poor and is now a billionaire. And what does he use his money for? Taking care of other people. When he, he, he works in New York City and their office was in the World Trade Center. And when certain, of his, certain employees died on September 11th, he took care of all of the families that lost their income, all of the families that lost their father. He has a fantastic marriage, and he really takes care of everybody in his life. But he's the bad guy. And what does that mean? All of his money he got because he's massively crooked. He is a thief. All of the money that he gets from the stock market, he gets it from insider trading. A lot of the money that he gets that's not from insider trading is from manipulating the stock market so he makes it go up and he makes it go down. And so the whole season is about these two guys fighting. Can Chuck Rhodes capture, can he find Bobby Axelrod doing something illegal or not? But the show slowly changes focuses, and it, it gets away from what they're trying to do in court, and it gets onto something a lot deeper, a lot more universal. We start finding out what really drives them. You see, Chuck Rhodes, he really doesn't care about the law. And in fact, he's willing to break the law. He's willing to, he's willing to break his marriage so that he can win every case. And Bobby Axelrod, we find out, he doesn't care about money at all. He only cares about money so that he can get revenge on the people that used to be richer than he was. He only cares about money 
so that he can have power over other people. So both these guys, the federal lawyer, the hedge fund manager, what are they driven by? They're driven by power. And so in one of the last episodes, things start falling apart for their characters. And Chuck Rose is sitting in a bar talking with a friend with his life falling apart. And of course, he does something profound, something that all TV characters do at some point. He quotes Bob Dylan. And he, he looks at his friend and he says, well, it's like the man says, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And so he's quoting this song, and I've got the lyrics behind me. It's a Bob Dylan song. I'm not going to play it because um, like most Bob Dylan songs, it's very poorly sung. It's, it's incredibly long. I think there's seven verses to this song. But also, like most Bob Dylan songs, it's very important and very universal. So look at, look at this, this um, one of the seven verses. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have money and drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. This whole song, what it tells us is no matter if you're, you're the richest man in the world, if you're the poorest man in the world, if you're the happiest man in the world, if you're the saddest man in the world, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter your position on earth, in your job, in your family, all of us serve someone. And so what's true about these two characters, that they are driven by power, it's also true for us. Everyone has a master, whether it's a religious one or whether it's not a religious one. But we all have something that defines our priorities. Or, or as I'm going to say today, what drives you? Now, as soon as I wrote that down in my notes for today, I said, what drives you? That has to be a car commercial. So I went on YouTube and I searched, what drives you car commercial? And sure enough, I found a car commercial. So let, let, let's go ahead and play this car commercial. Tom Bush Volkswagen wants to know what drives you? Style, efficiency, safety, performance. You get it all when you drive a Volkswagen. Right now, Tom Bush BMW wants to know what drives you? Luxury, performance, power. Step up to the ultimate driving machine like the brand new affordable fuel efficient BMW 320i. Right now. Luxury performance, power. Are these what drives you? Style, efficiency, safety. Are these what drives you? Now, what's funny about these car commercials is these are the exact same things that can really drive us in our life. Are you a, are you a BMW person? Are you driven by luxury in our life? Are you driven by being the best performing person in whatever it is that you do? Or are you like the characters in the TV show? Are you driven by power? Or are you more of a Volkswagen person? You're driven by style. You've got to be the most cutting-edge person that you know. You've got to look the best. You've got to make sure that you know all of the newest trends before anybody else does. Are you focused on safety? Everything in your life is driven by making sure your life is stable. My question today is what drives you. All of us have something deep down inside that drives us. So what is yours? We're in the middle of a series called, called The Core Virtues, and we spent the first part of the year focusing on our core beliefs. We believe certain things, and so now our core virtues are what we do in life because we believe those certain things. So three core beliefs go into what we're talking about today. First of all, we believe that God 
is God. That's, that's where he gets the name from. But also we believe that God has communicated through us to us through the Bible. And in the Bible, it says that everything we have, everything that we see, actually belongs to God. So if you believe those three things, it answers a question. It tells us what should drive our life. So our core question for the day is this. Where do my priorities come from? It's simple. Where do my priorities come from? And if you believe that God is actually your God, we have an answer for that. I focus on his priorities, his priorities for my life. And this is a resounding theme all throughout the Old and New Testament. We started looking at it in Exodus 20. When, G- when God is introducing the Ten Commandments, look at what he says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. From the very beginning, God lays out what it looks like to follow him. You can follow God or you can follow something else. There's no going both ways. And then Jesus gets even more specific in Matthew chapter 6 when he says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Then Jesus gets really specific here. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is practically a repetition or clarification of what God said in Exodus. It's practically mirroring what Bob Dylan says. You're going to have to serve somebody. He didn't say you're going to have to serve a lot of somebodies. He said all of our lives are spent serving one somebody or one something. Either you serve God or you serve something that's not God. And I think it's really tempting to have a lot of not gods in our life. It's it's tempting to worship, to seek, to be driven by something that is not God. Do you have a not God? A not God? There's there's plenty of them. Jesus said money here, and we're going to talk about money today, but I don't want you to think that money is the only not God that we can worship. Instead, Jesus could have just said, fill in the blank. You cannot serve both God and, and he could have said anything on the earth because we take God's creation and we put that in the place of God. If you're driven by, if you're driven by a desire for success, you're driven by a not God. If you're driven by grades, that the most important thing is to perform to a level where you get the highest grades, that's cool but that's also being driven by a not God. If you're, if you're driven by creating the most stable life possible, you're driven by something that's not God. And then I love this one, and this, this is so true for many of us. If you're driven by finding that perfect someone, because that perfect someone will fix your life, you're really driven by a not God, because that person is broken, and they're not going to fulfill you. So we can be driven by so many things that are not God. And so here's what Jesus is really saying here. He is saying that God is not a second-place God. Or as Ricky Bobby said in one of my favorite movies, if you're not first, I'm sorry, if you ain't first, you're last. And this is a terrible approach towards NASCAR racing. This is a terrible approach for sports. But it's a pretty good approach towards our relationship with God. If God isn't first, he's last. If God isn't first in your life, you're saying, God, you're not important enough to be the first thing that I think about. So Jesus says this in Matthew 6. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Our theme this week is kingdom-mindedness, seeking first the kingdom and letting everything else be number two and number three and number four in our lives. And if you believe that God is God, then we seek him first and seek other things different. This theme, this idea of seeking God first and other things second is, is permanently fused in my mind to this one time when I was in Bangkok and um, I started walking around the streets at night after Grace went to bed. Now, what you're thinking is this is going to be an inappropriate story, and it's not. Unless eating a vast amount of non-kosher food is really inappropriate, because that's what I did. So when Grace and I went to Bangkok, I, I, I went on Google and I searched best street food in Bangkok. And I found this blog that had this awesome photo. Uh, can you go to the next photo up there? I took a photo of it. Uh, next, next. Okay, so I found this photo, and they said, this is pork blood noodles. And what they do is they, 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 they use the blood and then turn the blood into blood sausage, and then somehow use that blood sausage to turn into a sauce that goes in with these noodles and the pork. And I showed this picture to Grace. I said, Grace, we should go there. And she said, no, <laughs> no. Uh, you can go there after I go to bed. So I had Grace's permission to walk around Bangkok at night by myself. And so I get on the subway, start walking around these streets. I'm looking at my phone, and I'm wondering, I, am, I should not be in this neighborhood right now. It was kind of sketchy, and I turned down a street, then turned down another alley, and I find it. This tiny alley is lit up with all of these street vendors, and I, I find the one that is selling pork blood noodles. And I, I, I get a bowl and I eat it, and I loved it. So then I get up, and I walk home. No, I didn't. I, I ordered another one. I'm not going to lie. I ordered another order, and then I ordered another order. It was delicious. So I eat my pork blood noodles, and then I decide I'm going to go back to the hotel and, and go, take it, go, go to sleep. It was really late at this point. So on my way back to the subway, I see something, and it was something I never expected to see in Thailand or really anywhere in Southeast Asia. On my right, as I was walking into the subway, I saw the NFL. I was so excited. It was Saturday night, which, or no, it was Sunday night, which means on Sunday morning in America, they were playing football games. And so I walked into the sports bar because I could watch the NFL. And I sat down. I hadn't been in America in about a year. And so I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch some football because I haven't got to watch football in so long. So Shortly after that, some guys sit down next to me, and they're also from America, and we start talking about football. They're Browns fans, so I apologize incessantly, and eventually, they asked me where I moved from, and I said, well, most recently, I lived in Austin, and he says, oh, you're from Austin? Have you ever heard of the Austin Atheist Society? And I'm like, no, no, I... I can't say that I have. And so he said, well, let me tell you about it. I, I listen to their podcast religiously. At, no, not religiously, but I listen to their podcast every week. And so he starts telling me about their beliefs or no, no, their, their lack of beliefs and, and all of the things that they do. And he is so excited to tell me about the Austin Atheist Society. So eventually he says, so why don't you listen to the Austin Atheist Society podcast? And I say, well, because I'm Christian. And he gets so excited. He says, I am so glad that you're Christian because I have a question that I've always wanted to ask a Christian 
but I don't know any Christians, so I've never been able to ask them. And this guy is not attacking my faith. He is completely genuine. He's a great guy. So no matter what I say next, this is coming out of a sincere place. He says this, Patrick, how can a Christian be rich? How can a Christian be rich? Because I've read the Bible. I'm one of those atheists, and I know the Bible. And there is a story about a rich young ruler. And at the end, Jesus says this, and this is very black and white. He says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. If you really believe Jesus here, if you really believe that Jesus was telling the truth, then why is there a rich Christian anywhere in the world? Because this is, this is clear. If you want to go to heaven, give away your money. So why are there rich Christians? Now, here's the cool thing. I was excited by this discussion because when I was younger, I heard this story. And the, the story was that somewhere in Jerusalem, there was a gate called the Eye of a Needle, and it was really hard for camels to get in there. So I shared this story with him that Jesus was not saying, you know, rich people are destined for hell or anything like that. He's saying that just as it's hard for a camel to get through this gate, it's hard for rich people to enter eternal life. Here's the only problem with the explanation. It's completely fake. That gate never existed. Not at all. Totally bogus. Whoever taught me that when I was, when I was younger, yeah, they taught me something fake. It's not real. And the problem is, I continued to carry on that fake lesson to an atheist. And I walked away. And I'll never see him again. And that breaks my heart. Because that was terrible. So where did I go wrong? Because Jesus meant what he said. When Jesus says it's hard for a rich person, it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus meant what he said. So I went wrong somewhere. Let's see where I went wrong. We're going to look at Luke 18. We're going to break it down verse by verse. All right, a certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So to understand this story, to understand where I went wrong, what we really need to do is understand the phrase eternal life. Let's go to the next slide. The phrase eternal life was, was a very packed phrase. And in this story, we're going to see the phrase eternal life, we're going to see the phrase kingdom of heaven. We're going to see the phrase kingdom of God. We're also going to see the phrase age to come. And all of these phrases mean exactly the same thing. And as a lot of us here have been learning, as I've been learning really over the past year, the Jews 2,000 years ago, Jews today, Jews 5,000 years ago, they did not believe that when you die, you magically float off to heaven. That's just not something that you read in the Bible. Instead, what they believed was this. Right now, all of us, we're living in what we would call the present age. I think we can all get on board with that. We could call this the present age. And in the future, in some time, God is going to come back, restore the earth, and what we can call that is the age to come. Now, what the rich young ruler said, he called it eternal life. But when he says eternal life, he might as well have said age to come. At the very end of this story, Jesus is going to use the phrase age to come and then have a comma, and then say eternal life. That tells us that the age to come is eternal life. And both of these things, they are the kingdom of God. So what the ruler is saying is, how do I get on board with what God's going to do here on earth? And this is a time, if you read the Old Testament, this is the time that the prophets talked about a lot. It's a time where sin is gone, where pain is gone. And, and it, war is so 
out of date, that if you have a weapon, you use weapons for farming. Now, they're talking about spears in the Bible. I don't know how we use our guns for farming, but it could probably be done in some way. It's a time of peace and equality. It's a time of justice. God comes to the earth and gets rid of everything evil. All of the things that we see on the news that break our hearts, in the age to come, God has gotten rid of all of those. But the best part is that we live in perfect community with God. And so what he's saying here is, hey, there's this next age coming. I believe that it's coming. What do I have to do to be a part of it? And this is where it gets interesting. Jesus continues. You know the commandments. Now watch my hand. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. How many commandments is that? You got, okay, great. That, you guys were more excited for the graduates. I get it. That's okay. So he lists five commandments. Now we know that there's 10. And of the 10 commandments, four of them deal with how we interact with God. Six of the commandments deal with how we interact with other people, how we treat other people. And what's interesting and so important is of those six, Jesus mentions five. Which one does he not mention? He doesn't mention jealousy, coveting the possessions of other people, because Jesus knows what Bob Dylan's going to sing about in about 2,000 years. Everyone serves something. Everyone has something that drives them. Either you're driven by God or you're driven by a not God. Jesus knows that that is true, and he knows that it's true of the rich young ruler. He knows that this guy is trying to serve God and money at the exact same time. And it just doesn't work like that. Look what Jesus says next. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So at this point, my atheist friend in Bangkok, he thinks he has it figured out. It, it is very black and white. If you give your money away, you go to the kingdom of God. If you don't give your money away, you don't go to the kingdom of God. Black and white, it's like, it's like punching a card. If you want to be with God, give your money to the poor. Write a check and you're done. You're good to go. And that's what he believed. And so what he, what he asked me and what he was genuinely confused by is why is every Christian in the world not writing a check to the poor so they can magically float off to heaven? And that's what the story appears to say. It's so shocking, and we know it's shocking because the people who heard this, they are shocked. They think 2,000 years ago, they believe that if you are rich, that's a sign of God's favor. And so Jesus is saying it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. And so they're shocked. And we should be too. Look at what it says next. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Can a camel go through the eye of a needle? No, no, it's impossible. And that's the point of this story. There's no interpretation needed. There is nothing a rich person can do to go to the kingdom of God. But there's also nothing a middle-class person can do or a poor person can do or, a, or an infant can do to inherit the kingdom of God. But what's impossible 
for us is possible with God. The ruler, he had something in his way, and it was a not God. For him, it was money. He wanted to serve God and money at the same time. But here's the problem, and here's why that doesn't work. In the age to come, I talked about all of these good things that God is going to do. And one of them is he's going to get rid of all of the bad stuff in our life. He's going to get rid of war. He's going to get rid of rape. He's going to get rid of murder. All of the terrible things, they're gone. But one of those things that God's also going to get rid of is greed. One of those things that God's going to get rid of is jealousy. And here is a guy saying, I want to follow God, but I also want to be greedy. I want to follow God. I want to live in a place without jealousy, but I still want to be jealous. And so Jesus says, stop being jealous and follow me. It's kind of like this. Now, if you know me, I really love doing trivia. And one of the cool things about trivia is in Albuquerque, you can do trivia. Now, I don't, but you could do it seven nights a week at a different place. I also love going to the isotopes. Um, I'm going next Sunday for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) I'm going to the isotopes for Mother's Day. I would love to have season tickets for the isotopes. I also love my family. And sometimes, most of the time, I need to be spending the evenings with my family. Now, what if I said I want to go 100% in all three of those directions? Like, let's say I decided I am going to become the trivia king, and I'm going to do trivia seven nights a week. Well, if I do that, I'm going to miss a whole lot of isotopes games. And if I'm doing trivia still, I'm not going to see my family that much. I'm going to be a terrible husband and a terrible father. So let's imagine that I go 100% to go to every isotopes game I can. Well, all of a sudden, I'm missing trivia a whole lot during the week. And I'm also, again, being a terrible dad and a terrible husband. If I want to be a great dad and a great husband, that means I'm not going to be the world's greatest trivia player. I'm also not going to go to every single isotopes game in Albuquerque. Unless my wife wants to go with, no, okay, I can't do that. But that's exactly what the ruler wants to do. The ruler wants to go this direction and this direction and be a part of what God's doing, even though God is going to destroy greed and jealousy in the age to come. It just doesn't work. So the the story, the lesson that Jesus is teaching actually has nothing to do with money. I wish it did. Because if this really was all we had to do to live with God eternally, all we had to do is write a check right now, that'd be, that'd be so much easier. I really wish that was the point. But this lesson really has nothing to do with money. It's about the not gods. It's about the things that we put ahead of God, the things that we seek before God. The ruler essentially says something that, if we're honest, we might say a lot to God, you know, Jesus, I hear what you're saying. Jesus, I I read this in the Bible. Jesus, I hear what the sermon said. But I don't know if I can fully believe that you'll take care of me. Jesus, I know what the Bible says. But I don't know if I seek you, if that will really satisfy me. I hear what the Bible says. But I don't know if you will make me as happy as this other person. There are so many things we put in front of God, and they are not God. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of God is full of people who put God first. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children, no one who has left anything for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age or in the age to come, which is called to many eternal life. So Jesus is saying, if you give something up now and seek the kingdom, when God comes and, and, and inaugurates this age to come, whatever that means, you will have many times more in that age than you do today. In other words, the kingdom is not full of people who have not gods. The kingdom is full of people who put God first. And, and if we're being honest, that's what bothered my friend so much. My friend sitting at the bar watching the NFL, he wasn't really bothered by rich Christians. He was bothered because he had the same question as the rich young ruler. He wanted to know what he had to do to be a part of the age to come. What he had to do to inherit eternal life. And I think we all want to know that. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? It's such a black and white question. And if Jesus wanted to just give us a list, here's how you get saved, even though that's not what the Bible's about. If Jesus wanted to get this big theological statement, here was his opportunity. And he doesn't say anything. Instead, Jesus says, you don't have to do anything. Let me do it for you. You're trying to go in this direction. You're trying to achieve this, seek this, be this. You don't have to seek, do, or be anything. Just let me do it for you. Psalm 37 gives us a promise. Take the light in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you want to know what faith is, that's what faith is. Faith is saying, I don't know how this verse makes sense, but I'm going to have faith that it's true. I'm going to have faith that if I will seek God first, that will fill my desires. This is a pretty big downer of a story, and I think that most of the sermons that I do, for, for some reason, they, they have this big downer moment. And so I, I studied this story, and I wanted to, to figure out, what is the good news of this story? Because here's Jesus saying, rich people, it's hard for them to enter God. But Jesus isn't just saying this about rich people. He's saying it about everybody. Anybody that puts something before God, it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of God. So where's the good news? I really had to look for it. And here's the good news. The rich young ruler, he rejected Jesus. Jesus did not reject the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus. Jesus did not walk away from the rich young ruler. The good news is that whatever is currently driving us now doesn't have to drive us for our entire life. Whoever we serve, whatever we put first, that can change. And it can change in any moment. And when we turn around and when we go back to Jesus, he hasn't rejected us. He hasn't walked away. No matter how far we've walked from him, he hasn't changed. And that's the good news of this story. No matter what we do, no matter what not God we serve, every day, we have the opportunity to put that not God in its place and go after the God that created everything. 
In the video that um, we watched earlier, one of the songs that I put in what was a, a 90s one-hit wonder, and it was called Closing Time by Semisonic. And I really didn't know what kind of non-cheesy, wait, you know, you know this song? Yeah, what kind of non-cheesy graduation song to put in. And so I, I, searched, I spent way too much tra- time and way too many arguments with my wife trying to figure out good songs that were about this because we have different tastes in music. And so I'm like, ah, I know this perfect song and no one's going to know it but it's perfect both for graduation and what I'm talking about on Sunday. So let's go to the next slide. This line is awesome. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Today, we cheer loud for kids who are ending their high school career. Now, is high school good? Absolutely. But it's only good if you're there for, you know, 12 years. No, high school, four years. <laughs> it has to come to an end. You couldn't go off to college if you were still trying to attend high school. It doesn't work that way. It is good for things to end so that new things can begin. And in the same way that Jesus didn't reject the ruler, Jesus doesn't reject us. And we have the opportunity today We have the opportunity every day to let our worshiping something that's not God end. And we have a beginning, and that beginning can be a new life where we say, God, I don't know how you're going to satisfy my desires. I really don't. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to do so. If you want to know what faith is, faith is that. Being kingdom-minded, seeking the kingdom first, and trusting that God will give us everything we need. All we need to do is turn around, turn our backs to the things that aren't God, and start facing and moving towards our God. We're going to have a time of prayer right now, and and I was talking with Jason, and I said, Jason, I'm kind of frustrated with this sermon. And he said, why? And I said, because I feel like I've preached this sermon about 30 times before, because this is a lot of what the Bible talks about, and I don't believe... I believe that no matter how good my sermon is, how funny my stories are, how many photos of food I show, I don't know if I can convince somebody to take the step of faith. And I don't know if I did today. I really don't. And I think that's the point, that this isn't something that I convince you to do. There's no amazing level of a sermon that I can deliver or that Jason can deliver to convince you to go, oh yeah, great. I'm done seeking something else. I'm going to seek God now. It really doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because I'm not God. And I can't work in your heart. So today, if God has been working in your heart for a while, calling you to seek the kingdom first and give up something that you're seeking that is a not God, what I want you to ask you to do is take a step of faith. You don't have to come down to the front, but you can. Just pray with somebody next to you. Pray with one of the shepherds up front. Pray with Jason. Pray with me. But tell somebody, I have been seeking this, and it's not God. And right now, what I want to do is take that scary, crazy step of faith and say, God, I'm going to seek you first. So let's all stand up. We're going to have shepherds in the front. We're going to have shepherds in the back. There are people all around you who can pray for you. And what I want to give you the opportunity to do is to say, God, You've been working in my heart. And right now, I want to make that decision to seek you first and put everything else in second place.
Let me pray for everyone. God, I thank you for this message that, that Jesus shared. I thank you that what's impossible for us is possible for you. There are people in here, God, that you've been working in their hearts for a while, and I pray that you will continue to work in their hearts so that they can take that step of faith and seek you. God, I pray that they will pray with somebody here, they'll pray with somebody in the back, somebody up front, but I just pray that you will keep on calling us so that we can say we are people who are driven by God. I pray this in your name. Amen.